Palmer Bear on the edge of the box. Oh, it's a straight-up screamer! Download our app today and enjoy straight-up screamers this FIFA World Cup with great odds, great promos and same-game multi at Palmer Bear. Gamble responsibly. For gambler's help, call 1-800-858-858. You're listening to The Sporting Capital with Sam Hargraves on SEM. Tim Gossage in the chair, 1300-736-736, temper text 0433981116. Cricketers with quirks or cricketers that just, ah, you remember them. A bit of a blast from the past. There's been plenty coming through on the text. Uh, Let's go to our caller, and that is Kim, who's in St Kilda. He's got a player or maybe a cricket memory that he'd like to share. G'day, Kim. Absolutely, gents. Uh, Peter Taylor. Peter Taylor, (laughs) spinner. Yeah. Um, New South Welshman, and he debuted at the SCG. Mm-hmm. And I reckon he took just about every wicket. He was magnificent. Uh, that unorthodox, he held, the, he held one hand high in the end. He tweaked it, and then he came in and, oh, never seen anything like it. Absolutely it, magnificent. Yeah, he took six on debut. That's right. And when he was chosen, Peter Who. He'd only played a handful of games for New South Wales at the time, and a lot of people thought the initial selection was Mark Taylor. Not that Mark Taylor was a spinner, as we know, but a lot of people were a little bit confused as to which Taylor they were talking about. You're right, and he was a beautiful spinner, and he could bat all right. He could bat as well, and he played he played the 50-over game uh, just as good, if not better, than he did Test cricket. Yeah, wasn't shabby at all, was not shabby at all. And he had that blonde moustache that would have gone down <laughs> very nicely in uh, November. Ahead of his time, he was. Ahead of his time. Yeah, um, brilliant stuff. One last yeah. one for you. Yeah. Yeah. There's, uh, there's another Peter. There's another Peter. It was Peter Sleep, uh, South yes. Australian. I just remember the name, but I can't, I can't quite. Maybe, maybe your callers might be able to... Uh, Fill in the blanks with him. Well, his nickname was Sounder. I know that for a fact. Sound asleep, and oh, he had Sounder, Sound yeah, asleep, and and he had and, and, and he had a very high spin action. His both his arms would be he'd start up virtually in the air, and the he was, I think he's a leggy. He's a beautiful spinner. He played, yeah, he did he did as a kid growing up. I was absolutely fascinated. I was fixated with some of those guys. There, there, there was just something, uh, I guess the word is quirky, but it was magical. They captivated you. Yeah, I and agree. the fact yep. that they were spinners would probably bamboozle you into, uh, um, well, into going out. Yeah, no, nah, he was absolutely brilliant. He played 14 test matches between 79 and 90. Peter Sleep, uh, he was born in 57. And Peter Taylor, as we mentioned, I think he played 12 test matches as well. Sound Sleep was a leg spinner. He was in and out of the team over a long period of time. Uh, he did take 10 wickets in an Ashes, of course, and he was retained for the next test after falling out of favour again. But he was always in and out of the team. It's a good call, and we appreciate it. Kim from St Kilda. Um, Trevor Lachlan, a name that keeps coming up. Of course, he's the father of Ben Lachlan, who's uh, played a lot of short-form cricket uh, in particular. Trevor Lachlan, I, I, now, this is not right, and I, I could easily get onto the Google, but I won't. Trevor Lachlan play VFL football? I know he played footy, but did he play any decent footy? Trevor Lachlan, it just keeps ringing a bell. Um, anyway, uh, if you know, I mean, he was a Victorian all-rounder and played, I reckon he must have played three or four test matches as well. Love Jonty Rhodes, Simon Cook, yes. Remember the bloke 
who took a hat trick, um, medium pace bowler for South Australia uh, for New South Wales, and took a hat trick. St- Anthony Stewart. Remember when Anthony Stewart? I, know, I reckon it might have been at the MCG. On the temper text, g'day Tim. Uh, have you got any comments on the Western Bulldogs signing of Mark Webb as an assistant coach? It's a great footy story. It is a great footy story. Mark Webb, of course, came across from Victoria. Came across. Um, I think he was headed for Subiaco for Perth. Ended up at Subiaco. Captained a long time. Played under Peter German and Scott Waters. Played a lot of premierships. Coached his own team in his own rights at Claremont and won a flag in the waffle. It was an assistant coach down at Fremantle, left Fremantle, took over the state 19s program, had some success, of course, with that, uh, beating South Australia a couple of times, in fact, three times this year or twice this year. And um, he's a good fella, Mark Webb, and will be. A, he's a very good developer of young talent. Um, and I don't say that, I'm sure the Bulldogs have got plenty of young talent, but he's a, he's a very loyal person, is Mark Webb. So it's a very handy acquisition there by the Western Bulldogs. So well done to them. Uh, thank you to our man, Sammy Watson. Um, Lachlan also played Aussie rules for Morty Alec Football Club in the VFA. I, gee, man, I, I thought he might have been better than that. But yes, um, uh, there you go. Paul Adams was the spinner from South Africa. Remember him? He had the bowling style of a frog in a blender. That's what they used to call But boy, couldn't he turn the ball on a dime as well. Some of our quirky cricketers, Jason Crazier. Colin Funky Miller, Nathan Horitz, Chris Gale, Richard Pand is another name. So there's plenty coming through. Absolutely brilliant. Hey, news is uh, we're going to news. We're going to take a little break and we're going to come back. Shane Warne was a guest in Adam Gilchrist in Focus, and if you want to listen to a lot of one-on-one interviews with Gilly, I see Ash Party got engaged today. Um, Ash Party is one of those as well. Gilly spoke to a lot of high-profile stars in sport over his uh, breakfast schedule shift uh, over there in Perth uh, with uh, yours truly on Gilly and Goss. But every Friday, he would laid, be laid down a challenge to come up with a big name. Well, he did catch up with Shane Warne at the back end of uh, Shane Warne's um, of the year that was uh, before we go into, of course, Big Bash and the Ashes. So they covered off a lot of ground. Of course, Warne's got a, a new fragrance out. But he had a special guest, Warney. He was driving his car in London. He was going off to um, play golf. And he had to pull over and someone got in the car. You'll find out who that is after the break. We'll come back and we'll hear Adam Gilchrist in focus with Shane Warne and a special guest. You're listening to The Sporting Capital. You're listening to The Sporting Capital with Sam Hargraves on SEM. Tim Gossage in the chair. Adam Gilchrist does a sequence of interviews, major names of sport right around the world. Shane Warney caught up with his good mate who kept to for a long time, of course. They chatted about a range of issues. We'll give you the first part. Here is In Focus, Adam Gilchrist with Shane Warney. Warney, great to catch up with you, mate. And as usual, you are the busiest man in the world. It's always amazed me, mate. You're in London. You're on your way to play golf with a couple of high-profile people. Thanks for joining me, buddy. Uh, just crazy times as usual. Yeah, g'day, Gilly. It's um, yeah, look, it's it's, it's it's always busy. Everyone's busy. Everyone's got someone to see and all that. But um, look, the good news is I was meant to be leaving out of London last week, but now that New South Wales have scrapped their fourteen-day quarantine, 
I've uh, stayed here an extra couple of weeks and arriving early November into Australia for the Ashes series, which is I'm pretty excited about. And um, I'm looking forward to getting home. So I've been away too long. Yeah, yeah, and it'll be great to have you back as part of Fox uh, Cricket's coverage for the Ashes. And uh, look, I'm going to throw the name out there. I know who you're catching up with today and playing golf with, none other than (laughs) Sachin Tendulkar. So I've done that there for you. Hey, um, that is good news about the the, quarantine um, situation being relaxed and broken down. I know that's been a big ticket item for you. You put the tweet out the other day, mate, about wanting to make Melbourne great again. You'd like to see Victoria open (laughs) up and you're looking for like-minded people. There's a bit of Trump about it, but what's the, the feedback been like? What are your plans for Melbourne, mate? Yeah, look, I, it's been very interesting experiencing how the UK over here have um, handled COVID. Um, you know, they're getting up to 30-odd thousand. They've got up to 50-odd thousand cases a day over here. Uh, obviously, the population's a lot larger than Australia. I think it's three times the population. But they've just learned to live with it. You know, they've learned to get on with it. They think it's inhumane to keep locking people up. They think it's um, not right for small businesses, mental health, suicide rates are all going up. So they said, no more lockdowns. Can we please get the country get double vaccinated? And everyone has done that. And, you know, everyone's been able to go to sporting events, been able to travel. So I think it's been a real eye-opener watching the way that Boris Johnson over here, the Prime Minister of England, has handled COVID. And from afar, I've been watching in Australia, and I really felt for my Victorian friends. I mean, the most city of hard lockdown in the world with a population of five or six million people. So I really felt for that. I felt for everyone in Australia. I mean, it's been such a tough time for everyone over the last couple of years um, and how it's affected everyone. But I just felt for my, you know, my fellow countrymen, my fellow Victorians after how hard they've done it, my children and everyone just sitting at home, not being able to do anything. uh, It's been really tough. So I just thought, Look, it was a bit of a bit of tongue in cheek about the Trump. Let's make Melbourne great again. I I love the slogan when he went for you know whatever we think of him as president and all that stuff is irrelevant. I just like the slogan. Let's make America great again. So I thought, well, let's make Melbourne great again. It's been voted the most livable city. I think ten out of the last twelve years. I think everyone in Australia knows how much they enjoy Melbourne when they go there. It's just a great place. It's a sporting capital of the world. Um, we're so lucky in Australia that every state has wonderful venues. I saw the AFL Grand Final in Perth, which was just magnificent. They did a great job over there in Perth. But I think the players, if you said to them, can we play a Grand Final at the MCG? It's where everyone really wants to play. You ask a cricketer, you know, Boxing Day at the MCG. It's just such an important place. So I've had some amazing feedback from a lot of um, influential people, a lot of the punters out there that just said whatever you want to do, and I'm I'm open for suggestions. Whether we put on a cricket game at the MCG, we combine with a, a rock concert or something, just to put some smiles on some people's faces in Australia, and especially in Victoria. Yeah, well, I reckon if there's anyone who can pull it off and bring it all together, it's you, mate. But having been um, the the king of Mumba <laughs> before and everything else, other other title under the sun. Hey, mate, I sort of <laughs> joked about how busy you are. It has always amazed me, having played alongside you for so long and working alongside you now, just how much you've always had going on. And and now even post cricket career, you got poker. You're a broadcaster. You're a businessman with a whole lot of areas of interest. Where you got the fragrance, the gin, a coaching business. Yep. Um, <laughs> advice, mate, for people, particularly in, in these times that you've just mentioned about uh, through COVID, advice on working 
under stress, in stressful periods of time or where you feel like you're under siege? Because I, you know, and then all the other tabloidy issues that were always in and around you and that Hollywood lifestyle. But when you got to game time, you just flicked the switch, mate. What, what was it? Did you have that always in you or did you have to work hard at that? Uh, look, it's a good question and probably a bit longer answer than a couple of minutes on a radio on your radio show, <laughs> which is very good, actually. I've been listening. Well done to you guys. Um, look, I think I think it's important that uh, you've got to just always be true to yourself. And the only way you can do that is know yourself and know what makes you tick. And I've always been a driven person. I'm very polite. I'm well-mannered. I'm punctual. But I'm also driven. You know, I'm not satisfied with... Um, you know, I'll always try to be better, whether it's a better person, a better father, better in business, and I'm always hungry to learn. Uh, I don't pretend to know everything about everything. I, you know, I, I need to learn stuff. And over my journey, I've learned a lot. So I think the other thing, the main thing is, no matter what happened five minutes ago, let alone what happened yesterday, 20 years ago, you cannot change it. So you can't regret some of the things, the good stuff, the bad stuff, whatever it might have been in your past, even what happened yesterday. So it's all about, and I always believe you're only as good as the next day. You're only as good as your next match in cricket. Not as good as your last game. You're only as good as your next game. You're only as good as your next decision. Um, so all those things, always, I've always been one of those guys to look forward rather than, geez, I stuffed that up or I could have done that better. So I've always tried to be a positive person, always look forward rather than in the past. Yeah, your positivity was always infectious. And I guess with all that um, uh, stress and pressure at high level, high profile stuff comes um, issues we're seeing more and more now with mental health. And there's a lot more spoken yeah. about it and players taking a rest. Did you ever feel on reflection there was a time where you would have, if, if, if we were playing in these times, you would have needed a break for mental health or, or should have? Uh, no. <laughs> I, I, think I understand about the mental health issues. Um, and they're super important. And sometimes I think when we look back over the past, there are probably times when we didn't realise we needed a break or we were under stress. But I, I, I just don't believe when you're playing top-level sport you can pick and choose. I, th- I, I, I think it has to be your number one priority, um, that whatever sport you play, um, you know, there's obviously your family, your children and everything else. But to me, my cricket was always number one. Now, hate me for it whatever you want to do, but my family was always second because I was a cricketer and they understood that. And unfortunately, the sacrifices you need to make to be the best that you can possibly be, it does require sacrifice and occasionally you have to be selfish. So when I look back over my career, I missed two births of my children. You know, I caught a plane with you, Gilly, in between test practice <laughs> for one day to get home. So I, I just think, you know, then you cricket, it doesn't mean you don't love your family and they're not everything to you and you would drop everything for them but I was always in the moment I was always cricket is it this is it the rest everything else can wait I want to be the best I can for my country I want to do the best I can for Australia and that's how I lived rightly or wrongly that was the way I was because I wanted to be be part of a team that was the best in the world I wanted to be part of the team that you know destroyed everyone and we did we were lucky enough we played with some great players we had a great time and we were the best side in the world for a long period of time. We beat everyone home and away and we had a lot of fun doing it. So, look, I don't regret any of it, mate. I, uh, I had a great time. I, was, I think we were very, very lucky to play with the players we played with. I'm very grateful for the opportunity. Um, when I retired, you know, suddenly 
nothing, all my decisions were made about my children. My children were first, not work. And that's just the way I was. Listening to the Sporting Capital with Sam Hargraves on SEM. Tim Gossage in the chair for Sam. Again, I'll be here to 8 o'clock, 1300 736 736 or temper text away 0433981116. Part two of Adam Gilchrist in focus chat with Shane Warne. Wait till the end when a special guest jumps in the car on the way to the golf course. Mate, just I don't want to hold you up too much long because I know there's a tea time with uh, the best batsman you've probably ever bowled yeah. to. But uh, Davey Warner under siege, are you, are you playing him on Saturday night against South Africa? Are you concerned by the form or does he get a, get a run? Oh, no, I'm concerned, but he gets a run for me. I just think he's class act. Um, you know, class is permanent. Form is temporary. I'll always back um, the players that have performed at the big stage at any given time uh, and have done it repeatedly. It's not as though it's a one-off thing with Davey Warner. Yes, he's not playing great. Yes, he's out of form. But class is permanent. Ride him off at your own peril for me. Davey Warner plays the first game. And don't be surprised if he's player of the tournament because... He's the type of guy we've seen, if he gets on a roll and gets some runs early, look out. And Australia need him. The simple fact is Australia need uh, David Warner in form and playing well. Uh, so for me, he plays. Yeah, and, and Pat Cummins, just the one game since about April, I think, or even earlier, he's um, only uh, had that one warm-up game. Um, he's, he, he walks in no matter what, not underdone. No, nah, get him in. I mean, Pat Cummins... Uh, I just think he's a terrific cricketer. You know, we we love Pat Cummins. He's just such a good player. Uh, so for me, he uh, he's in as well. The only one I would probably leave out, which is probably a big call, is Steve Smith. To me, with his T20 form, I think we've got so many wonderful players. I think it's just got to work out the makeup of your team and how you want to play and what's the style of play that you want to play for Australia. You know, how does... Um, Australia want to play their T20 cricket. And I think when you've got guys like Stoinis, Mitch Marsh, uh, Maxwell, these guys, they're just so destructive. I think they all have to play. So I'm not sure there's room for Steve Smith. Steve Smith's the best test batsman in the world. But I'm just not sure he fits into the T20 unless they want that guy that can knock it around and sort of score to run a ball. Um, if they want that guy in the team, then sure, pick Steve Smith. And that means you lose a bit of power with either Stoinis, Marsh, uh, one of those guys. But I'd be having Stoinis, Marsh and Maxwell in my T20 side. And for me, I actually would have Josh Inglis as my keeper too. I saw him firsthand yeah. at the London Spirit this year. And I tell you what, this guy is absolutely fantastic. I know we're lucky in Australia. You'll see them all, Gil. I mean, you, everyone wanted to be Adam Gilchrist and everyone wanted to Adam Gilchrist in their side, especially in white ball cricket. So... To me, when we've got Pearson in Queensland, we've got uh, Carey doing so well. But Josh Inglis, to me, is the one from WA. You know, you guys have seen him, but I saw him firsthand at London Spirit. I think this guy's going to be an absolute superstar. I'd be getting him in. Yeah, I think we're well well stocked in that keeper batsman position. Just back to Cummins, can he captain Test cricket from a bowling as a bowler? Yep, absolutely. I have no problem with Pat Cummins because he's earned the respect of his teammates. Um, there's, I don't think there's any issue with a bowler being captain. The only thing that's hard as a bowler as captain is you just sometimes don't want to over-bowl yourself. Sometimes you under-bowl yourself. And until you've sort of experienced that, and it takes a little bit of time uh, to work out the right things. But you sort of know when Pat Cullen's bowls. He opens the bowling, and then if we need a wicket, you throw in the ball. So it ain't that hard.
<laughs> yeah, we can we can make it difficult sometimes, can't we? Just uh, last one, mate, uh, before you head. Cast your mind forward. You, I know you've always got wonderful philosophical views on different things, and and uh, and you're pretty keen to always throw an opinion around cricket in ten years' time. How's the landscape look? Do you see T20 continuing to just override Test cricket, or is Test cricket is it going to always survive? Um, oh, look. I think what we have to work out is that do we want, um, are we forcing test cricket down everyone's throat when they don't want it? Do they want more T20 and one day cricket? Look, it's a very interesting um, situation. To me, I look at it like this, Gilly. If we drive through and have Maccas every day and we get cheeseburgers and fast food, after a while, you get a bit sick of it. You want the three-course meal. You want it to take a long time. You want to have some chats over the dinner table and a glass of wine. You want to chill and just relax and enjoy the what could happen. And I think it's like T20 and, and test cricket. If you have too much test cricket, you, you sort of crave that one-day white ball cricket, T20, the 100, 50 over. But if you have too much of that, you crave test cricket. You crave that three-course meal. You, you crave it. So I think it's about a balance but I think if we look at all the other countries, I think Australia, England uh, will always be okay because we've got the ashes. Um, other countries, I am so thankful to Virat Kohli to say that Test cricket's the most important format of the game um, because I reckon, you know, without the biggest... You know, he's the biggest superstar on the planet in our sport. Um, and if he said that, you know, Test cricket didn't matter, then it's in real trouble. Um, but... He wants Test cricket to be uh, the number one form of the game. So let's hope it is for a long, long time because we all love it and it's a great form of the game. It certainly is. It was a, it was a one to play, mate. Hey, fantastic to chat. I know you're um, you're also on a bit of a, uh, a PR trail for your fine fragrance, the second edition, what SW23 Sport Edition. What's changed in the uh, in the mixture, mate? What are, what are the ingredients that have made it sporty? Well, it's um, look, the first one was very, very popular it was, um, and everyone loved it. But uh, the second one's come out. It's more of a daytime fragrance. But, you know, you could wear it anywhere, Gilly. It's as simple as that. It works. It's, uh, it smells great. And you can get it at Chemist Warehouse. That's exactly right. They're big supporters of our show and our station, Chemist Warehouse. And I noticed too quickly, uh, batting for Afghanistan, um, your good mate Ian Chappell has um, got a, a fundraising effort there to help displaced Afghans in all the trauma and drama that they're going through. And I noticed a, an auction item, Warney, a Zoom call with yourself, Mike Gadding and Ian Healing talking about the ball of the century. What, what a prize. I reckon that'll be highly sought after, mate. So well done on supporting that. Was that a car door? Is Sachin Tendulkar in the car with you? Um, it's a live radio with Gilly, Sachin, yes. Sachin just jumped in the car, mate. It's Good morning, fault. Sachin. He's standing out in the rain. Gilly, are you well? I'm very well, mate. Uh, I've got one question for you. Who's winning the T20 World Cup if you can't say India? Do I? Oh, I was going to ask you, do I actually need to answer that? <laughs> no, you well, can't say India. What about Indian final? Well. Apart than India, uh, I'm not sure. I think it's going to be between uh, England, yeah. Australia and New Zealand. Mm, interesting. Yep. Very yeah. good. I, I, I'm a bit like Sachin. I think, I think it's going to be an India-England final. I think India, the team to beat. I think England are a fantastic, well-balanced side as well. 
But um, let's hope our Aussies can lift and actually start to play all right. Yeah, let's hope so. Well, and guys, I can't wait to hear the result of today's, uh, what, just match play or a shootout, straight shootout. I'd hate to know what the <laughs> wager is on it, but have fun. And um, great chatting to you, Sachin and Warney. Thanks so much for joining us on, uh, on Gillian Goss on the Friday Focus, mate. No worries, pal. Thank you. I mean, Sachin smashed me all over the park every single time we played, so maybe I might have to get one back on the golf course today. I might steal his ball and throw it in the bush. <laughs> Good on you guys. See you later. Adam Gilchrist with Shane Warne. That was done just prior to the start of the World T20. And what about that? He says, and I quote, don't be surprised if Dave Warner is not the player of the tournament. Wow. And this is a bloke that couldn't get a game in the IPL. Big call. He also said, and this is before the Tim Payne dramas, that he thought Pat Cummins would be a more than capable captain. That is probably just a day or two away before the Ashes. Great chat. You want to hear more of Gilly's chats with some famous names? Go onto our podcast or our website, sen.com.au, and check out some of the great names of the Focus Chats. We'll take a small break. We'll come back. There'll be more Sporting Capital. Some big names interviewed on the show today on shows today. We're going to hear from Matt Spanger, Premiership player. The Sydney Swans, a three-club player. He was on breakfast this morning. We'll hear from him a little later too. Sporting Capital with Sam Hargraves on SEN. Tim Gossage in the chair for Sammy Hargraves and you can always get in touch with us in the final hour of the show, one 736 736 And don't forget tomorrow night, it is draft night. It is all things draft and you won't miss a minute right here on SEN. Text away, temper text, a mattress like no other. I reckon there'll be a, some, uh, well, there'll be some hopefuls lying asleep probably as we speak right now, going to bed early because they'll be on a temper and it's a mattress like no other and they'll just trying to get some shut-eye before the big day tomorrow. In fact, the big day for the next couple of days and you will not miss a second of it here on the SEN network, wherever you are listening to our show. And just a reminder... People are asking, where can we hear more from Adam Gilchrist? You can go on to the sen.com.au or wherever you get your best podcast, but get the podcast element out of our sen.com.au and all the um, app and find podcasts and you'll see the, the focus, In Focus with Adam Gilchrist. And the names are simply amazing. You'll love the chats with the great man, Adam Gilchrist. Speaking of great men, a very popular man, finding his way into, well, the Western Bulldogs as uh, part of the coaching staff. And there's a young man who had three football clubs in his journey and played in a premiership with one of them as well. Matt Spanger, West Coast, Hawthorne, Sydney. That's where he won a flag. And he was a guest this morning on SEN Breakfast. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's, um, I, yeah, don't show away that it certainly wasn't the traditional pathway into coaching. But I, um, I suppose I'd always wanted to, to be involved in footy in some capacity and my involvement in my role at Collingwood in the last 12 to 24 months, um, certainly had more uh, more exposure to coaching, particularly 
given some of the uh, the staffing resources, you get exposed to a little bit more across the football world at the moment and um, really started to get an appetite to get back into that coaching because I really did enjoy the aspects of working, particularly with the younger guys um, across the VFL program. And then um, and then how it eventuated was, I mean, I'm lucky enough, I've, I've as you documented, played at a few clubs and in one of those clubs I crossed paths with, with Bevo and... Um, and we've always had an open dialogue and I've used him as a sounding board, um, you know, for a while now. And then the opportunity came up and, and certainly discussed it and thought that I could add some value. I know Bevo, Matt, is of the opinion that you get great people and then you work out where you're putting them. You're going to look after the forwards. Oh, good group. Good group to work with. It always surprises me when you look. Matt, you've kicked 13 goals in your career. <laughs> I mean, what the hell are you doing with the forwards? <laughs> oh, David. <laughs> No, no. Look, that's fair enough, David. I appreciate that. No, I, um, no. Honestly, I don't. Uh, I don't show away that I wasn't much of a forward. I think most of those goals came in my my brief stint at the Swans as well. When that was, that was a bit of a forward experiment. But um, no, honestly, I think uh, oh, most of the coaches I've had that uh, certainly excel, I felt excelled in their roles. Didn't really have many affiliations mm. to the line that they played. Mm. Um, I think these days you need to have an understanding of of a holistic game plan, both offensive and defensively. And um, I think that that's what all coaches add. And my, uh, I've only recently started at the Bulldogs and met a few of those respective coaches, but um, that seems to be a pretty common thread there as well. Yeah, no, I'm, I do mean that. I think that the, the ability to get great people in and then and then work out their roles is, is something that uh, has come to the fore in recent time. What would be your mantra to coaching? What's the stamp that you'll put on this group? Is, it, is there something that you've got to a deep-seated belief in, you know, whether it be, um, the, you know, the team ethos or, or something individual for the for the players you're working with? Is there something that really drives you, that one ethos? Yeah, probably. Um, I, I, if I had to sort of like answer the question specifically and narrow it down as best I could, I'd say that, um, well, certainly the one thing, and maybe this is the, the defender in me and maybe it's the, the nature of my playing career, but it's also what I've carried up with me post footy to this day is, is sort of understanding where you where you as a cog fit in the in the bigger machine to, to achieve what we're after. And I think um, providing that context and getting people to understand that is a really important part to then, you know, getting them to be accountable for their role, but also providing that satisfaction in achieving it because it doesn't necessarily need to be the person who's kicking all the goals or doing all those things that is important for the, for the team to get the result they're after. And I think uh, when you're a young person trying to break into a side, like that can often be lost. Um, and I completely understand that. I, I think anyone who's played the sport, not even not even at professional level, who's tried to break into any side, really can understand that you do want to play well personally. But um, you know, certainly, as you get a bit old and what you're and what you're trying to achieve in terms of silverware, um, that can be put to the side. Speaking of new Western Bulldogs assistant coach Matt Spanger. So, Matt, let's perhaps go back to go forward just briefly here. Now, glorious year in 2014 at Hawthorne with that premiership, which we, we talked about. And then you delisted at the end of 2016, which I would have thought is where most listeners could probably last trace you back to. Now, where did you go and what did you do in the years uh, post uh, your playing career? Yeah, for me, I was pretty keen to step out of, out of footy for a little bit, just... Um see what else the, the world had to offer. And I was lucky enough uh, just through some... Uh, I was doing a day a week at Nepal Australia whilst I was playing and um, and then stepped into a, a senior partnership manager role there for, for 12 to 18 months. And then my wife is 
uh, a gastroenterologist. So she had an opportunity to go to uh, the UK or London specifically to do her fellowship. So we went over there for a couple of years and I worked in effectively digital sports marketing over there for a company called Green Room for a couple of years. And the opportunity at Collingwood to come back and get back into footy, which I was keen to do, uh, came up at the end of 2019. So moved back pretty much as uh, as all the COVID stuff happened at the beginning of 2020. So mm. it was... Um, it's been an interesting arrival back to Australia, but um, but still enjoyable for you know for many aspects. And then I've been at yeah, as I mentioned, I've been at Collingwood for the last for the last uh, well, effectively eighteen months amongst the the stand down and some other things in between. So you've done a bachelor of business, and have you completed? Is it two masters degrees, one in sport management, one business admin? Yeah, that's correct. Um, maybe a glutton for punishment in terms of the study <laughs> stuff, but um, no, it was more. Um, I did the I did most of it whilst I was playing. I like I'm the the son of a, a teacher, and my dad's a um, <laughs> he was the the CFO at Holmesley Institute. So if I didn't actually focus on my studies, and and my mum always was big on you know not wasting the the private school education that they were lucky enough to afford me. That I um I, yeah I was I certainly was indebted to them. I maybe they that instilled that in me. So I always enjoyed the learning aspect, and then the MBA I picked up. Um, in the last 12 months, more just with all that's happening in Melbourne, I, I found I had a little bit more time on my hands and just wanted to occupy the mind a little bit. Mm. Have you had a chance to run that, that studying eye across the... Yeah. The, the... Well, I think um, an interesting one, sort of, a, a, in an, and certainly in a, not in necessarily unique, but interesting phase, is it's probably Josh Bruce at the moment. I think being predominantly one of the, the main senior players in the side um, and obviously having his knee injury, I'm really keen to develop what I know he has aspirations to do in terms of his career, but also use what is his football IP and, and spread that across the group more than what he already is. And footy's a small world and we've crossed paths and about playing days, you know, many years ago now. So I think that's one that I'd love to, to work closely with and, and use what he can offer to bring the better out of the group as well. And then probably on the other end of the spectrum, I mean, there's, um, you know, Sam Darcy's coming into the side and whether or not that's forward or back, that's certainly one, I think having watched him at Oakley a little bit this year, an impressive young man, and the, the character of, of who he is, 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 you know, in addition to his football ability. And then, you know, obviously Jamara is one that they speak about that, um, you know, he's got a lot of talent that now might be a little bit more opportunity coming through after another year in the system. And so there's, but having said that, the group is unbelievably young across the board um, from a forward group. Um, and I think that's a really exciting part given uh, even though they're young in age, many of them are, are quite senior in terms of footy lifespan. You know, Aaron Norton comes to mind in that respect. So cult hero status live on. I think there was a Facebook page titled Sir Matthew Spanger at one point, another radio station nicknamed you Fabio. Um, it was enormous acclaim for you as a player. Does it, uh, no modesty here either, by the way, Matty. Does it Does it live on? <laughs> uh, only only in passing. Certainly not... Um, not to the extent that maybe it did when I was uh, when I was running around still, but no, I've uh, I've the haircut's a little bit more professional and the beard's a little bit shorter, so maybe it's, ah, uh, okay. it's harder to, to make hurts. those calls out. So yeah, sorry, sorry to disappoint. That's disappoint. That is disappointing. <laughs> Could you get it back? How long you got? You've got four months now of the off season to get it back. Could you Could you do the the world a favour and just get the the locks flowing again? Yeah, every chance. I think. Uh, well, it's one thing that lured me to the job with the dogs, but they certainly embrace individual hairstyles. So maybe that's uh, <laughs> yes. what brought me back. <laughs> there we go. Well, best of luck with it, Matty. Have you actually reported officially for duty yet, or is that is that still incoming? No, no. We uh, we had our first day all together yesterday, right. um, and then um, just about to jump in the car and head in there today. But it's uh, a softer start this week with the players obviously coming in next week. 
Matt Spanger speaking on breakfast this morning with Sammy Edmund and David King. Good chat. Uh, yes, he was very much a cult hero and played in the Premiership, of course, with his time at Hawthorne. Fantastic. And he's now part of the Western Bulldogs, and he looks like he knows what he's doing, of course. Uh, still to come, Jared Whateley had a wonderful chat this morning with Cricket Victoria's CEO and former Cricket Tasmania CEO Nick Cummins this morning about a range of issues. So he's had a, a lot to play out. In fact, before we go to the break... I want to play George Bailey, if we can, Geordie. George Bailey on Tim Payne's mental and physical state. This is courtesy of the Cricket Etc. podcast. Have a listen to the Chairman of Selectors on Tim Payne's current mental and physical state, courtesy of Cricket Etc. Uh, it's been a, a big few days, hasn't it? Um, you know, I think he... Um, I think he's in a pretty good frame of mind. He was frustrated that he wasn't able to, to, be, to be playing cricket um, mm. from a recovery perspective and um and the the focus he's got on getting physically right so how confident are you that tim that that tim will be right to go in brisbane confident in in his um in how meticulous he is in his preparation as i said i mean i think we've we've been aware that it's going to be from purely physically it's going to be a tight run thing um regardless but he's certainly really confident that um the injury has has healed really well. Um, and I guess this is the next step of the process, the return to play. How does it actually go? Um, time on feet, the, the repetitive nature of wicket-keeping, um, batting under under you know, game-like simulation or situation. So we'll, yeah, that, we'll, we'll gather that evidence over the next few days. Summer Breakfast. Today we spoke to new Western Bulldogs assistant coach Matt... The Sporting Capital with Sam Hargraves on SEM. Tim Gossage in the chair for the next couple of hours and I'm with you and you're with me. So let's do this together for the next couple of hours. one 736 736 or temper text away. Temper, a mattress like no other. 0433981116. Thank you to the boys talking all things city and A-League of Course, been so much going on. Georgia Patricius, Patricius, of course, from St Kilda, has undecided whether she's going to go for the double vaccination. She's a star with the Saints in the AFLW. Is that going down? Justin Langer won't be part of a five-man squad that decides the next Australian. He's put forward his recommendations. It's now up to the five-man squad, or women as well, uh, to discuss... Who should be the next captain? I think we do firmly believe it will be Pat Cummins. And, of course, a big night. A big night of sleep needed for the hopefuls of the AFL because the draft is on tomorrow. And you'll hear it all here on SEN. Uh, of course, there was a big blue on the basketball court yesterday and it involved LeBron James. The first time in 19 years he's been suspended he got a one-game ban. Isaiah Stewart got a two-game, not one week, one-game ban and a two-game ban for Isaiah Stewart. Stewart got fined $45,000. LeBron, uh, I think that's about a lazy 250000 for missing that game. 
Stephen A. Smith has plenty to say, and he had this to say about LeBron James's suspension. He's got to be suspended. No, he doesn't have a reputation as a dirty player. That's not who LeBron James is. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that the play at that particular moment in time wasn't dirty. The reality of the situation is you swung your, your elbow. Because you swung your elbow and it caused that kind of damage, the reality of the situation is that's what sparked the incident. However, I'm of the mindset that Isaiah Stewart, don't know much about him, respect his talent. Um, he's definitely a man, a brother 6'8", 250, built like a middle linebacker. Mm-hmm. Definitely so now when he initially went up to LeBron James, he didn't go up like that. But how he acted thereafter, I think he deserves to be suspended for multiple mm. games. You cannot, you cannot act like that. He bulldozed over several dudes, including coaches. He could have done harm to his own teammates. He right. looked completely out of control. <laughs> he did. He did get two games banned, and LeBron got the one. And, uh, well, when you do the dollars and cents, that uh, finds about five times uh, that of what uh, Stewart received as well because of missing that one game. We mentioned Georgia Patricios uh, and her decision. Well, she hasn't made a decision yet. She's still just weighing up the pros and cons. Billy's in our Scott Varley. wants to have his say. G'day, Billy. Yeah, evening, guys. Um, yeah, just regarding that... Um girl Petrakis, um, I'm not sure if you follow the AFLW, but I've seen her play. She's a, an absolute jet. Like, losing her to football would it'd be like Bond walking away from football. And so much more important than Liam Jones walking away from Carlton. She's a true champion. who's going to be a champion at the AFLW for many years. And it'd be sad to see her walk away for this reason. So I don't know. I hope something can happen between now and the season starting. But it, it is a huge loss for AFLW, as I said. Much more bigger than Liam Jones walking away from Carlton. It is massive. It is absolutely massive. And a decision that she's going to have to make because they're not going to uh, change the goalposts to suit her thought processes and or agendas, if you know what I mean. So she's got a big decision to make. And she said, well, she needs to thrash it out with a family. Well, I'd be gobsmacked if they haven't already thrashed it out. I mean, it's it's not new. We've known the double vax been coming for a while. She did step away from the Saints for an undisclosed time. And look, and again, each to their own. But there you go. Billy is an AFLW aficionado, and he does believe that she's a bona fide star of the game. And, of course, we've seen the girl from the Adelaide Crows who has also decided that uh, she's uh, not against it and she's uh, she's against it and won't be participating. So, look, it, we're going to hear more of this. This is just going to be the forerunner of the future. But I don't want to tell people what to do, but uh, I would have thought that if they say the double vaccine, double vaccine, and it's not just about you being vaccinated, it's about you doing your best to minimise damage caused to other people, in particular the elderly for mine and the more vulnerable. But again, if she's going to put her mindset ahead of her football career, that is her choice and she's entitled to make it. Hey, Jack's in Golden Grove in SA. He wants to talk about the next Ashes captain. G'day, Jack. Yeah, oh, yeah, hang on. Um, yeah, um, I reckon, well, um, I'm not, I don't mind if they go back to Steve Smith personally because, um, although they probably won't do that, but I mean, I think that he was a bit harshly treated because apparently he didn't even know about the, um, I mean, they think you should know as the captain that what's going on, but that's not necessarily true about that ball tampering stuff. Like, you know, David Warner and all that planned that thing sort of very, you know, like 
sort of um, this, you know, secretly or whatever. And um, Darren Lehman even said that Steve Smith didn't know about about you know what went on. So I think he I, no, Jack. Uh, I, I think Jack. I agree. Oh, look. They won't go back to Steve Smith because they can't roll out of one controversial captain dismissal, uh, well, departure, and then go into the Steve Smith thing. They just can't do it. They've just, they've just got to rule a line through that process, in my opinion. Probably um, he's in the mix. He's probably the best probably captain in the group. But I just don't think you can go back to that bloke on the back of what's happened with Tim Payne. But to your point in regards to whether Steve Smith knew, he might not have known the absolute process that was about to take place, but he was aware something was going on, but he turned a blind eye to it. It's almost like he, again, I'm not there and I don't want to cast aspersions on him and his integrity, but he should have acted. He knew something was amiss. He knew something was amiss. And as captain of the team, he's got to take that responsibility. He he, he probably just was slow to move. Um, and with his time over again, he would have stepped in and said, hey, 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 come on, whatever you're thinking of doing, have, an, have another rethink. At one three hundred seven three six seven three six. But good on you, Jack. Appreciate your call, and thank you to listening for listening to our show, The Sporting Capital. Zero four double three ninety eight eleven sixteen, and that is the temper text, uh, of course, temper text line. And it is, of course, a mattress like no other. Paul's in Coburg. He's online, and this is the debate that everyone's talking about. Paul, you want to have your say on the Australian batting order? Thanks for calling. Yeah, Goss. Um, I just think that. Um with a batting order, there's so many ways you can go that you've just got to pick a form batsman. I think that's the way to go. And the other thing I was going to mention to you, I mentioned to Jared, a girl in the T20 bowled left and right hand over in the one over the other day. Have you heard of anybody else doing no. that? No, no, I haven't. And if they have tried it, it hasn't had too much success. I'm sure there's someone else. It's a good call you make. Um, do you know her name, Paul? I don't. Someone will be able to find her. Name's Barsby. Her oh, name's yeah. Barsby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think she's the daughter of Trevor, but I'm she not is. sure. She is, and played, has had, and played, has, had, has had a couple of homes in the um, in the WBBL. Yep, good call. Yeah, but I do remember a player who bowled left arm and right arm in first-class cricket in New Zealand, and his name was, I'm pretty sure it was Dale Hadley, Richard Hadley's brother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know the name. That's the only one I can think of, uh, Goss. All right, very cool. All right, well, there you go. So uh, there it is. So if anyone knows of anything else bizarre, I mean, I know this is not overly bizarre, but Adam Gilchrist, is, as we know, is a great left-handed batsman, plays golf right-handed, swings the club. Uh, you know, and I don't know if he's the only one that does that, but there are people who do that as well. Hey, Patrick's in Bond Beach. He wants to have a, well, I think he wants to send a, a cheerio, a birthday message. G'day, Patrick. Tim, how are you keeping? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going okay for a Tuesday night. Looking forward to the draft. Excellent. Well, it's a bit late in the day. Should have done it early in the day, but just want to say happy birthday. 60 today, one of my very favourite cricketers in Merv Hughes. Not sure uh, he'd sort of survived too long in today's environment, but uh, <laughs> anyone who watched him, he was, he was huge value, fantastic, and uh, the big man 60 today, which is a great thing. Yeah, happy birthday to Merv. Oh, look, he's, he's a legend of our game, and, uh, you know, whether it was a role as a, as a cricketer and uh, as a showman, as a selector... As a tour promoter, as a fishing show host, he's done it all. He's good talent and he's been a great survivor and he's done very well out of the game, but on the back of being an outstanding fast bowler and he did put the, the fear of God into the opposition, in particular the English. It's a good call, Patrick, and yes, a big happy birthday to Merv Hughes. 
I would love to know if you had a cricketer, and that's from Patrick's call and others, and we, we, we mentioned that, the, you know, the Dale Hadley. I wonder if that's a topic for now. one three hundred seven three six seven three six. A cricketer that you loved, and just for whatever reason, a cricketer of quirk, if you know what I mean, a cricketer, a cricketer of quirk, someone that you remember. I, I remember growing up. I mean, they're all good cricketers. You don't play Sheffield Shield, and you don't play Test cricket if you don't have have the talent. But Jeff Dimmick sort of rolled the arms over. Uh, you know that sort of like that that sort of style of bowling, that sort of whippy, whippy left arm of Jeff Dimmick. Phil Carlson? Remember Phil Carlson? He used to bat, I think, three for Queensland. On the temper text machine, a mattress like no other. The names are coming in. Dougie Bollinger. Sean Tate. Mark Cosgrove. Dougie Bollinger, Sean Tate and Mark Cosgrove. Just three of the left field names. Love to get some left field cricketers. Billy says, Leon Cameron was a great kick on both feet. Very hard to know which was his natural leg. Good call, Billy. Richard of Warren would like to share a cricketer that was a bit quirky and he liked his idiosyncrasies. G'day, Richard. G'day guys, how are you mate? Yeah, you, yeah. you mentioned that straight away. I, I thought of the uh, centenary test here in Melbourne against the Poms and Derek Randall, the English batsman, I think he's batted number four. And he just reminded me of Charlie Chaplin, the way he kind yeah. of moved around the wicket all the time. And, uh, remember, I think, if I've got this right, that Lily nearly knocked his cap off with yep. a bouncer and he actually stood up and he dipped his cap to Lily yeah. to say, it was just too good for me. So... I reckon he was fantastic. And he wasn't a bad bat either. He was a good batter. He was a good batter and he was an outstanding fieldsman. Outstanding cover fieldsman. He was an absolute... Oh, he, he covered some great territory. But you're right, Richard. And he used to wear his cap. He never really wore his cap when he was in the field front on. He always had it tilted on a 45 degree and tilted on the back of his head to look a little bit... Different. It's a very good call. I like it a lot. Richard of Warren has got us going with a couple of names on the temper text machine as well. Bruce Reed, of course, he's still around the place, Bruce Reed. Give us some other names that you liked watching a little bit left field. Keep the calls coming. That's the important part. Keep us going here on the Sporting Capital. We'll get to your calls shortly. one three hundred seven three six seven three six, Or, of course... Text away on the temper text, temper a mattress like no other, 0433981116. Cricketers, quirky cricketers. You may not have played a lot or shield cricketers that you liked watching. Remember Alvin Kalacharan, West Indies? He used to come in at number three. I remember the Windies, Lawrence Rowe. I think he used to bat four. They opened with Fredericks. There was Derek Murray, the keeper, and then was David Murray, the keeper. Oh, you loved the West Indies, didn't we? You had to love the West Indies uh, at their at their best. Hey, let's get a breakaway. Keep your calls coming. one 736 Quirky cricketers. English, South African, Australian, shield cricketers. Or 
cricketers that you used to go, wow, uh, you want to see more of them, or they didn't last all that long. one three hundred seven three six seven three six. I mean, I grew up Jim Higgs. I mean, remember Jim Higgs? What a great spinner, Jim Higgs. And I remember going to the MCG to watch Jim Higgs, um, and he was in the nets, and he couldn't bat in the nets. He was terrible. He's the worst number 11 batsman in the world. But, gee, he was a fantastic spinner. Greg Matthews is one. Gladstone Small. Thank you, Michael. It's another one. What a terrific cricketer, though. What a fast bowler. What a machine he was. one 736 736 Let's get a breakaway. We'll come back. Still to come, Shane Warne in focus with Adam Gilchrist. They spoke a couple of weeks ago, and they had a very, very special guest jump in the car with Warney over in London. You'll find out who that is. And more callers on the way as well. one three hundred seven three six seven three six. We'll get to your calls next. This is the Sporting Capital. You're listening to the Sporting Capital with Sam Hargraves on SEN. Thanks for your company. 16 past nine. Tim Gossage in the chair. And the as much as, you know, the just probably hunkered down for the night. I know that a lot of you like to make a call if you've got anything to say about any topic that we've discussed or you want to bring to the table, one 736 736 or text on the Temper Text Machine. Temper, a mattress like no other. And that number, 0433981116. Not that you need any reminding of that number. The machine has been in full lockdown mode tonight. Cricket Victoria CEO is the former Cricket Tasmania CEO. His name is Nick Cummins, and he spoke to Waitley. Was the the no-fault finding in the Tim Payne investigation a, a confected outcome to protect the Australian cricket captain that would never hold up in the public glare if the circumstances were before us? I don't think so. I think that the process that Cricket Australia Integrity undertook at the time was was bulletproof. Um, Sean Carroll, who led the process, for those that know him, he's a high, highly experienced integrity professional and um, uh, someone that you never enjoy dealing with because you know he's going to follow the letter of the law irrespective of how it may look uh, in the media. And um, no, we were really satisfied that uh, that was done the right way. As you look back now, with the benefit of hindsight, do you think Payne was guilty of a breach of a code of conduct or do you still believe in the findings of the day? I still believe in the findings of the day. The code of conduct, um, and it is CA's code of conduct, so I'm obviously um, commenting from outside CA, uh, found that he wasn't in breach. And I think it's important to stress that when you go through these things, and I certainly know that Sean did, that you always do it under the assumption that it will get out. Um, So you have to be able to stand next to that decision in, in moments like now, and justify it. And uh, yeah, I think it was justifiable at the time. Were you surprised then that the current Cricket Australia administration took the opposite view, that they believed, presented with the same circumstances, they would reach the opposite finding? Look, I wasn't part of the, the conversations, the deliberations of the CA board when we've discussed it. I, I don't know whether they have access to all the information that we did at the time. And I, I think there's also... You know, there's, there's decisions in cold blood and there's decisions in warm blood. So often, you know, three years down the track, you're making decisions in cold blood um, and you can be a lot more dispassionate uh, perhaps than when you're right in the centre of it um, and you've got access to all the information, but also the context and when you're making that decision. So, look, I can't comment specifically about how they arrived at that decision, but it's certainly not the decision we arrived at at the time. When the complaint was first lodged... Uh, Tim Payne has become the Australian captain and it's lodged with you 
how aware of the magnitude of it are you in the moment that it's before you? Oh, absolutely aware. Um, obviously, and, and you said this yesterday in your comments that, that when he did what he did, which you know, he, by his own admission was idiotic, but certainly we all thought that at the time, um, he had no idea that he would become Australian captain. But when we found out what he did, he was, and it was just off the back of Cape Town as well. So you know, the reputation of Australian cricket was pretty brittle at the time. So the magnitude was, was significant. And, and when I first heard it, it's, your first reaction is disbelief. And, and indeed, when I called him, I, I expected him to kind of laugh it off. And I guess to his credit, he owned up straight away. Um, and my, sort of my heart sank. And uh, then you sort of immediately switched into to management mode and think, right, oh, well, we've got to get on and manage this now. When, so when you first had that phone call, did you think, I don't know how this ends. I don't know. Does this cost Tim the Australian captaincy today, tomorrow, one day down the track? Uh, this will sound like a bit of a cop-out, but because of the arrangement of contracts, he, he was a CA employee at that time. So we had to refer it to Cricket Australia and that immediately becomes Cricket Australia's problem. Um, but you do wonder, I was probably more worried for him as a person. Uh, I mean, being the captain of the Australian cricket team is really important, but you know, his, his, his marriage, his relationship with his friends and family is far more important. So that's probably where you worry first about, geez, this is really embarrassing. It's a, it's an error in judgment. And, you know, how do you work through that? Because they're the people that really matter. Um, and I think actually being captain of Australia is second to that. Was there any reason to have concerns around Tim's previous conduct when he graduated to the Australian captaincy? No, I don't think so. And I think, you know, the challenge is that I think he needs to be assessed on how he performed as Australian captain. Um, it's it's kind of how far do you go back and how deep do you go in, in people's um, backgrounds and maybe what they've done previously. He's, um, you know, we can't hold people to impossible standards. Uh, I think we have an expectation of how people behave when they're in a role. But there's also an element of double jeopardy here where, if someone has been held responsible or done something in a previous role, do they get have to relive that again in their new role? What did Cricket Tasmania do? It, it was your former employee who made the complaint against a, well, he's contracted to Cricket Australia. He is a Cricket Tasmania person as well. Yeah, so the, the former employee made a, a, a range of complaints and, and Tim was just part of that. So we referred the, the Tim Payne part of that immediately to Cricket Australia. And the other part of the complaint we handled as it related to Cricket Tasmania um, issues. Well, is one of the outcome of those that, that a second person was, well, a person was dismissed from Cricket Tasmania a second, a, as a result? A second person resigned. So Shannon Tubb? Yeah, resigned as a result of that, yes. Yep. So was he facing the same allegation of behaviour as Tim Payne did? Um, the... The details, there's, with employment law, if someone resigns, there's confidentiality, but, but the, the circumstances and the detail were, were different. Um, there were some similarities, but if we put them next to each other, they're quite different circumstances. So consequently, um, you know, the, the penalty, the, the, the view that Cricket Tasmania took was quite different to what we would have taken with Tim's, irrespective of the profile uh, of the two. But also, you know, the roles that each of them had actually matter in terms of, you know, what their behaviour and how that applies to any penalty. So as a like for like, and this is the question being asked from the outside, was Tim Payne given preferable treatment to Shannon Tubb because 
of his stat- status within cricket? Uh, no, no, not at all. Um, and this is unfortunately situations because you are bound by confidentiality, but I'm sure as a pub test, if you sat down and put the two next to each other, someone would, would see that they are quite different in terms of their nature and that it's reasonable to form a different view on the two individuals. Did you conclude that you had a cultural issue within Cricket Tasmania as a result of these these complaints? Uh, look, no, I don't think so. Not 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 as a result of this sort of behaviour. I didn't think. I don't think. Um, or I don't believe, and I, I certainly didn't see that this behaviour was widespread. I think the Cricket Tasmania at the time had gone through a um, a transition period where maybe you know Tim Coyle's strong leadership had had really set a standard, and when he departed, probably slid back a bit, and, and that was evident in the terms of the performance of Tasmanian teams at the time. But you know Andrew Gagan, who who was the chairman then and remains so now, was was determined to you know return him to the the Coyle glory years, and and that requires challenging people around their professional standards. But in terms of uh, behavioural issues and, and cultural issues in that regard, no, I, I didn't think this was endemic of a broader issue. D- does Cricket Tasmania make a finding in the Tim Payne case? So the, the release that came on Friday, is that as a result of the work that was done by Cricket Australia or does, does Cricket Tasmania reach its own conclusion? Uh, Cricket Australia. So um, again, it sounds like employment law uh, discussion, but but Tim is wasn't a, an employee of Cricket Tasmania at the time. So that was Cricket Australia's integrity unit that made that finding. Did you work on the assumption that this would all be one day on the front pages of the paper? Uh, always. So anytime we have situations like this where you know maybe there's a player behaviour issue or even just a staff member, given the level of interest, and you've seen this in your show over the last 48 hours that cricket has, you know, we're part of Australia's sort of cultural fabric, you have to assume that one day you'll be sitting here like this talking about what happens. Um, and so you make all the decisions based on that. You have to have a bulletproof process that will stand up to scrutiny. And um, it can be challenging sometimes uh, doing that, but it's always a really good filter to apply when you're making your decisions. Did you hold any view publicly or privately at the time that it should have been put into the public domain to avoid this day, three and a half years down the track, that there was a way to deal with it and it would have been, it would have still been embarrassing, and it would have been very difficult for Cricket Australia to navigate with the man they just put into the job. But if there is a no no fault finding for him, that it might have been dealt with at the time. I think the challenge with that is, if something up into that point has been confidential, and you come out and announce that nothing has happened, that immediately triggers a certain percentage of the media or the public to say, well, something surely did. Um, quite frequently. Uh, and in fact, recently, CA Integrity has found no faults with, with different player behaviour or, or staff behaviour and broadcasting, you know, that, that, that no one has been found guilty of something uh, that people didn't know about, I, I think is a breach of privacy. I think that people are entitled, and this, this applies to your listeners as well, is that we've all got rights that need to be protected in terms of privacy. And so broadcasting that someone hasn't done something wrong almost triggers questions about well, have they really not done something wrong? I now want to play Bush lawyer and prosecute that case myself. So I think it's entirely reasonable and it is CA Integrity's policy always not to um, to, to broadcast or publicise if, if no fault is found. If fault is found, they will. Do you think Tim Payne could still be an Australian captain today? you think he should still be Australian captain today? Um I think that's Cricket Australia's decision. Um, I wouldn't be happy if Cricket Australia were commenting on who should be captain of Cricket Victoria. Yep. Yep. 
Um, have you had contact with Tim in the last few days? I haven't. Usually when – it sounds like I do this stuff all the time, but when this kind of thing happens, um, you, I sort of give them a bit of time to breathe, but I'll talk to him in the next week or so. Um, you know, he and I have been on this journey together from the start, and as you would have seen in some reports – it's been inevitable that it has it would come out, um, and so we've we've been in close contact all, all the way along. And uh, I'd, I'd just say that a no one excuses his behaviour. It was completely inappropriate, and and I, even to this day, I'm not sure why he did it. I don't think he does either. But I, I do think that you know he's had three and a half years to show that he's a good husband and a good person, and and he's been able to do that with Bonnie. And I think that he's been exemplary. Um, and people deserve an, an opportunity for atonement or redemption, and I, I think he deserves that. Is there a source of lament that his time serving Australian cricket ends in what what, what on Friday were humiliating circumstances? Oh, absolutely. Uh, if you think about the way that he rose to the job, he sort of got a bonus four years of his career. I mean, I spoke to him in a cafe in Tasmania when I first started and convinced him not to take the job at Kookaburra, not thinking that because I wanted to be captain of Australia, but just because we needed some leadership as we made this transition to the next sort of post Bailey, post pain um, phase. And then to sort of see the journey that he went on for it to end this way is, is uh, unjust and, and just, yeah, lamentable, I think is the right word, yeah. Do you feel like the system has failed him? Um, I, I feel that with these sorts of issues, there's a lot of complexity. Um, there's a lot of detail which is starting to come out and there'll be more that will come out that sometimes in order to make judgments, you need to have full 360 view of what's going on. And I just ask your listeners not, not to immediately jump to conclusions with the sort of first line of the first story and go, oh, well, he's clearly guilty or he's clearly innocent. Um, but unfortunately we won't be able to do that until in, in time, I guess all of the detail comes out. And that's, that's hard because I think the way that society works at the moment is that, that people are very quick to judge, uh, all people, in, in employers, employees, listeners, media, and it doesn't give a lot of room for, for stories to breathe and, and evolve. So that's Jared Waitley this morning with Cricket Victoria CEO and former Cricket Tasmania CEO Nick Cummins, who was across of all the things happened that uh, took place with Tim Payne those years ago. He's a very measured and uh, incredibly uh, strong in character is Nick Cummins. I'm really enjoying the chat. So much so, part two is around the corner. Stay with us. You're on the Sporting Capital. one three hundred seven three six seven three six, or text away 0433981116 on the temper. Mattress like no other temper text machine. If you've got anything to say, thank you to Michelle, who's listening, who loves listening to the show. Good on you, Michelle. Thank you for your support. Well, come on air. We've still got half an hour to go. This is the Sporting Capital. Tim Gossage for Sammy Hargraves. You're listening to the Sporting Capital with Sam Hargraves on SEM. The second part of this story, the second party in this story is extremely difficult to discuss because of ongoing legal matters. So I acknowledge that. And it is a gap in in some of what's been said. And it does lead to some of the comments around victim blaming and the like. So... Um, I'll just ask this question. Do you feel like, did, did Cricket Tasmania under your leadership fail that employee? Absolutely not. I, I would say, and you're right, um, the matter's before the court, so I can't comment, but I, I would broadly say that, and this applies to Tim, you know, we, Cricket Tasmania, Cricket Victoria, Cricket Australia, we're a business, we're a professional environment. Um, that kind of behaviour isn't acceptable. Um, 
we found that was consensual, that behavior, it's still not acceptable. If you want to do that in your personal life, you can, but if you're doing it with a work colleague, it is still regarded as work. So, um, you know, we, we've, we've got to hold ourselves to, to standards and, and operate as professionals, but no, we, we did not fail an employee. And, and again, unfortunately I can't go into a lot of detail except to say that, um, we investigated thoroughly. I mean, our concern was sexual harassment. That was investigated and prosecuted um, thoroughly to ensure that wasn't the case because that's a very, very serious and it's never been acceptable. But in the last five years, women particularly have made clear that they're, they're fed up with banter. Um, so we went again, looked through the lens that way. We, th- there's no tolerance of that, but we are satisfied that it wasn't sexual harassment. The leaders of sport in this state, in particular in Victoria, we we have a, an ongoing series of interviews with. So this is our foundation chat with Nick Cummins. We've gone in a different direction, but we will talk a lot of cricket Victoria over the the coming months and the coming years. So Nick, as you come as you came to the job. Uh, you're already inside the organisation and you had a period as the interim CEO. What what are the primary challenges of cricket in this state at the moment? Number one is what does cricket look like post-COVID um, and the challenges. It's been incredibly hard for all cricket administrators. And I tell you what, if you're ever going to have a gap between being CEOs, the time would have been those 12 months during COVID because it, it challenged every leader to make very, very difficult decisions without truly understanding where COVID was going. And we possibly still don't understand so how, how do we rebuild the organisation post-COVID? Um, how do we rebuild community sport? Um, you know, the number of people you talk to about how, a, how much they've missed it, which is great, but then B, how, how children have got out of the habit of, of getting outside. So there's a big participation piece that we need to work with, the Victorian government particularly, <clears throat> to get kids active again. And in that will be all matter of tension points. So we were getting calls last week from... Uh, parents and participants asking around vaccine policies at junior sport when it's so, it was around the Liam Jones um, retirement and Novak Djokovic, uh, whether he, well, he now can't play at junior or well at community sport, there isn't a vaccination policy that's so strident. How difficult has that been to navigate? It's, it's difficult because there's the full spectrum of opinions. So there's people saying, yeah, good on your cricket, Victoria, all, all the way through to, you know, this is appalling leadership and everything in between. The reality is that um, we're not an expert in biosecurity and, and, and COVID. So if, if the government have provided the direction, it's, it's appropriate that we follow that direction rather than creating another layer of compliance, which would have been built out of no evidence, just a, a gut feel that that's the right thing to do. So, you know, I've said this a few times and I reiterate it, we are strongly pro-vaccination at Cricket Victoria. Every, every employee and all players are, are double-vaxxed um, and that remains our position and I'd encourage anyone listening to get vaccinated because it'll allow us to get back to doing what we want to do. But the government's position is that for outdoor community sport, you do not need to be vaccinated and we support that position. Was it a relief? Was it the source of excitement that there aren't crowd limits from here on and big bash games, test crickets and all all professional cricket that's staged in this state can have as many people as want to attend? Oh, ab- absolutely. And I know as a, as, a, as a cricket and a footy fan, just being able to go back to footy this year at the start of the year and, and just as a, as a Victorian, it's, it's part of, of, of what we do. So to know that we can open the gates and people can partake in, in, in the tests, in the BBL, um, and you know, even with the WBBL, the, the, the girls have played 31 games on the road. 
So to actually have our teams play in front of our crowds um, is, is really exciting. And, you know, we're really looking forward to people coming out and getting behind the teams. The philosophy of Victorian cricket. So you've just had the captain of the T20 World Cup winning side. You've had the batsman who, or the batter who struck the winning runs. You've got uh, Marcus Harris who will likely open. There's always been a tension piece in Victorian cricket around winning and around providing national players uh, where I think Victoria, well, it's quite obvious, Victoria has failed um, by comparison with New South Wales, for instance. What's the philosophical discussion like in the organisation around that? Well, it's a live discussion right now, and, and um, we've got Mike Hussey doing some work around our, our selection processes and, and policies, talking to a lot of our stakeholders around, does Victoria import players? And then what, what does importing mean? So um, there's enticing players to move interstate and offering them a contract, but then there's players like Nick Maddinson and David Hussey that move to Victoria with no promise of any contract and, and work their way into the team. I certainly don't think particularly the latter that we should be stopping people. If someone wants to move to Victoria, um, you know, realizing that we're the best state to, to live and play cricket, we shouldn't stop them. And if they're the best performing player in premier cricket, then they should be picked. So over the next couple of months, we'll actually have a position on that um, going forward. That position will change from time to time, depending who the coach is and who the board are and who the CEO is. But we've also got a really exciting group of young Victorians. Sean Graff and, and Andrew Lynch have done a great job identifying the likes of Sutherland and Perry and Murphy and Bukowski. Really exciting group. So how do we how do we make sure that those Victorians make the test team? Um Tony Dottomade being a selector might help. So we'll, we'll hope he does the right thing. And, and uh, that, that brown paper bag is, is put back on the shelf. <laughs> Will Pekovsky is, it's a conversation that draws us all in. And he has the promise to be the batsman of a generation. And we've lived with Will through what he goes through with each knock and each concussion. How, how complex is it, given that there's nothing that creates quite the spectre of concern in modern sport as concussion? How complex is it navigating this with a, what is he, 22? A 22-year-old whose great dream is to be a, an Australian batsman. Well, I think the complexity is 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 this, is that every time he, he gets a knock, and, and I think that the bar is a lot um, lower for what is considered concussion than probably it was I think 20 years ago, unless you were knocked out, um, you didn't have concussion. Uh, now, you know, diving for a single and banging your head on the ground or jarring is, is concussion. And we've seen that with, with Sam Harper, for example. Uh, so there's, there's the concussion itself, but then there's the, the impact on Will of the speculation about his career. And, and I guess he's talked about this before, but people coming up to him and saying, you oh, it's not worth it. And, and people talking about his private medical yep. um, situation. So he's got to kind of deal with that, the anxiety of, of, of speculation as, as well as the, the medical issue. And, and you're right, he's, he's just such an exciting batter and we hope that, you know, he, he'll play for Victoria for a long, long time. What's the challenge for a chief executive on, so there's the medical issue, which is primary, but then there are spin-off issues. There's insurance, there's the moral obligation to look after an employee and the like is, have you had to start to think about those things or are you deliberately not contemplating those at the moment? No, no. I, and I think this comes back to the, the COVID conversation earlier on. If, if we hire um, sports science, sports medicine people to provide advice, we have to listen to that advice. So um, w winning is a, a very short-term outcome. Uh, you know, we, we, as Cricket Victoria, 
we we know that we'll produce players for Australia and we'll, we'll you know we'll win shields and we'll we'll do and we'll win big bash t- titles and those sorts of things. So we can't focus on this this player right now at the risk of their you know their long term you know welfare. So we have to listen to those that are qualified to provide the advice. And there, there really is no point getting a dog and then barking yourself. You, yep. You've got to listen. And the BBL, so it was uh, it was a little bit undignified last year, occupying the last two places on the table with yeah. the Stars and the Renegades. Yeah. Does it make this a big season? Yeah, it does. Um, you know, it's it's. I always get a feel, I've been involved in Big Bash for sort of seven or eight years now, sort of with Sydney Thunder first and then Hurricanes and, and now the, the Melbourne teams. And one of the keys is if you get your overseas players wrong, um, you're up against it very early on. And so for the Stars, when... Miller and um, uh, Bairstow pulled out. You've always got this feeling of dread uh, that you've, you've got a little bit imbalanced and you really need plan B to come off. And we've probably seen that with the, the women's stars as well, that you know, Nat Siver wasn't able to come back. Catherine Brunt wasn't able to come back. So you've really got to focus on getting those overseas players right. Um, because if you don't and everyone else gets their players right, then you've, you've got match winners. Um, so... I'm pretty confident uh, the, the Stars got a really strong group. I think the Renegades, their younger players are another year older, so they'll they'll step up. They've got a few of their, you know, Nabi's coming back and, um, you know, the Afghan players. But it's a hard tournament to win. It's it's such a hard tournament to win because it's so even. Um, and we've seen this year with the WBBL, the final was Thunder and Stars. Thunder have finished second last, Stars have finished fifth. Yep. It can turn around pretty quickly. There's no draft. You don't have to build through the draft or any of those things. You can turn it around in a, in a season. So that's good. And it's also bad, yep. <laughs> depending on which way you're going. An intriguing chat there with uh, Cricket Victoria CEO and former Cricket Tasmania CEO Nick Cummins on Waitley this morning. I hope you enjoyed that. Well, clearly you did, according to the feedback we're getting on the Temper Text Machine. Temper, a mattress like no other. 0433 98 11 16. Being reported over in Perth that Brad Shepherd will know his fate in a few days. He's had a number of concussions and Mark Reddings on Sports Day is uh, certainly indicating that uh, Eagles fans could brace themselves for not having Brad Shepherd in action at various stages throughout 2022. One of their uh, best defenders. Uh, he's had a couple of bouts of concussion. I was actually in his company on Saturday. He looked fine, but of course, as we know, and just heard there that unfortunately concussion can come in all various forms and he might be way off the pace at the moment. So Mark Redding's reporting on Sports Day that Brad Shepherd may not be getting to the start line for the West Coast Eagles. We'll keep an eye on that one. A break. We'll come back. And not too far away from wrapping things up on the Sporting Capital on SEN. Tim Gossage in for Sammy Hart. You're listening to The Sporting Capital with Sam Hargraves on SEN. Tim Gossage in the chair and here for five or so more minutes or ten minutes to the top of the hour, of course. And stay with SEN tomorrow. It's going to be a massive day. It is draft day. And, of course, it'll be the day that 20 young men join the AFL system through the draft process. Some are obvious. Father-sons are obvious. Sam Darcy, Nick Dacos. And Co and Jason and Juan Francis goes to North Melbourne. And then there's just going to be some moving and shaking, isn't there? So you'll hear it all on SEN. It is going to be a huge day, right from the breakfast show, right through the day, of course. And I'll be back in the chair with the Sporting Capital on Thursday night, post-draft day two, and really just to reassess and come across about the futures and hear from 
player managers and clubs and players themselves and young men. I'm going to give you a name, and I've given it a couple of times. His name is Greg Clark. He's 24. He was the state 18s captain of WA five years ago. By his own admission, had a big head. Lost the real idea of what you had to do on the hard work. Clearly didn't interview great with the uh, club scouts. But he's now got a manager. Uh, had a stellar season. Very unlucky not to have won the Sandover. Won the Simpson. Played state footy. And he's a ready-made, hard-running midfielder. Big and strong. And I'm going to tell you, he's got very much... I'm not saying he's as good as Elliot Yo, but he wouldn't get blown away by an Elliot Yo or a couple of those hardcore midfielders that play in the east on the east coast, of course. Nick Revolt, yep, he won Celebrity MasterChef. Have a listen. I enjoyed your dish as much as my own. On you, Nick. Love a bit of passion there. So congratulations to St Kilda legend in Nick Revolt. Uh, just on the temper text, and thank you, temper, a mattress like no other. When we mentioned earlier was Anthony Stewart. Do you remember him? That didn't come from any name, I don't think. Let me have a look. No, it didn't come from a name. Definitely Stewart was a hat-trick at the MCG. He was there on a trip with our cricket club. Mark Taylor took the catch in the slips. It was against Pakistan, I reckon. Well done. Billy reckons, Gossie, because I mentioned Ash Barty, it's been reported that she has um, got engaged to her partner of some five years. And Billy says, Gossie, I didn't think tennis players got married because love means nothing to them. You might be off to the sick bay, Billy. Yeah, you might be off to the sick bay. Uh, Marshall says, of Mentone, thank you, Marshall, Trevor Lachlan played for Collingwood in the early 70s. Collingwood fans, I don't know if he did, did he? I'm trying to find that. But anyway, I thought he did, but I haven't seen anyone tell me uh, that he did uh, and confirm that for us anyway. Uh, and just quickly, Brad Scott, who, of course, is now with the general manager of football at the AFL, said the onus in one of the rules and the changes for the season ahead in 2022 is the player on the mark has more onus to give the ball back. Here, have a listen. Yeah, well, it, it, it depends whether the player on the mark's got the ball, but we, we'll also look, uh, we'll take a dim view of players who don't have the ball impeding the opposition player picking the ball up. So we've seen that a lot where players will hover over the ball and, and, and not let the player who's won the free kick get access to the ball. So umpires will be a lot stricter on that. 
That is Brad Scott. Hey, thanks for your company. It's been a very, very busy show over the four hours through Time On and the Sporting Capital. Uh, Trevor Lachlan played, I'm getting it confirmed, for Collingwood yeah, Cricket Club. Okay, so he's, there you go. So definitely played for Collingwood Cricket Club. Someone just told me that he thought he played VFL football as well. Anyway, someone will find out because that's what the SEN audience does. Hey, enjoy tomorrow, midweek day. Gamble responsibly if you're having a wager. If you're listening, don't forget, you can always do catch up on sen.com.au and uh, some great shows. And don't forget, breakfast tomorrow, Waitley, Dwayne Russell, The Draft, Andy Marr, The Crew. Make sure you go nowhere because if it's mentioned in sport, it'll be mentioned right here on SEN. Tim Gossage filling in for Sammy Hargraves. Thanks to Geordie. Thanks to Sammy for pulling it all together. It's been a fun day. You have a good one tomorrow. May the best draftees win. Stuff for your face and body? It's men's skincare with a purpose. Top quality Aussie-made grooming and skincare to help guys look and feel great with no hassles. Plus, Stuff is helping mental health too. Find Stuff at Woolworths or visit websiteofstuff.com.